Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. It's your Monday morning Buckeye Talk. Doug Marisa and Nathan Baird. We're going to do some rapid fire based off the spring game. So many great questions from our tech subscribers. We'll do multiple rapid fires this week because we're not going two hours on this one. Uh, Steven is going to be off most of this week. And the reason he's off this week is because very soon, very soon, a new Baird will enter the world. And so uh, once Baird, uh, once there's a new Baird, we're going to lose our Baird for a while, Nathan. So how is uh, how is Baird Baby Watch going? You know, we're in uh, what I've referred to as the splash zone. It's really could come at any time. The due date isn't for another like 10 days from today. But and with the first baby, they don't tend to come early, we've been told. But uh, who knows? So um, it could we, we could st- I could still be part of coverage through the NFL draft. I could have to log off in the middle of this podcast. That's kind of the situation we're dealing with. Listen, it's your baby <laughs> and babies come before podcasts. but. You know, if your wife wanted to have a baby in the middle of the podcast, that would be great for us. We might, be, have, we might just have to make it extra rapid fire. I mean, if like just like if there was shouting and there was a packing of bags and running to the car. OK, so is, if you have a baby in the midst of this podcast, just let the don't log off. Let it run and we'll let the natural Baird household sound take us through the rest of the podcast. So. Um, your plan again, just so people know, we we got through spring football, which was great. Um, you're going to be gone for like how long? Once the baby comes, two months. Two months. So that'll be uh, me and Stephen doing a lot of podcasting and Buckeye coverage, and uh, we might get one or two done ahead of time uh, before you leave. And so if we drop in over talkables or something, maybe you'll magically hear the voice of Nathan Baird, but, um, but Steven is off this week because then, then, it's, then we're going to be um, doing this without Nathan for a while, which is great. We'll give you time to bond with your baby and your baby to bond with you. And also um, lots of screaming and, and crying. And also the baby will be screaming and crying also. Right. So uh, good luck. Congratulations. We're all excited for you. And so again, we just like to give people a heads up. It, we might have eight more minutes of you. Who knows? 
So the clock is uh, ticking. We have 11 rapid fire questions from our tech subscribers, but Ohio State Nathan also got two recruits the day after the spring game. Who are they? What do we think? So they landed a cornerback. These are both 2023 guys, a, a cornerback. And I should have checked with Steven actually on the pronunciation here. Um, I can't, I'm not sure if it's Dijon Johnson or Dion Johnson, if the J is silent. So when Steven is back, maybe he can correct me on that. But the uh, number 265 player overall, number 29 cornerback. And they also landed a receiver named Bryson Rogers, who is a uh, consensus three-star guy, ranked uh, number 367 nationally and number 48 among receivers. That's the first receiver and first cornerback to commit to this 2023 class. So Johnson is from Tampa, and Rogers is from just outside Tampa. Yes, and, but, and he is actually a, a Warren, Ohio native, which I, which you can discuss in the context of why he's coming here. So, uh, but they are in Tampa, yep. <laughs> obviously, as we love to note there. I mean, they've been in Tampa before. Um, I, this Zephyr Hills high school, I was like, why does this ring a bell? That's it's Zephyr Hills is where Bryson Rogers is from. He goes to Wiregrass Ranch high school. But I was like, why do I know that name? Why did I know that name? Ryan Pickett, back in the late 90s, Ohio State defensive lineman was from Zephyr Hills. Jim Haycock went down there and recruited Ryan Pickett there. Michael Jenkins, holy Buckeye, was a Tampa guy. Again, Ohio, you have these relationships. And then when do you lean? They are leaning in Tampa. And why are they landing in Tampa? Well, Billy Napier is a first-year head coach at the University of Florida. They're, they're in transition, right? Mike Norvell at Florida State, not great. Mario Cristobal is at Miami, year one, maybe about to get it going. But there's a little bit of an opening here at Florida because it's a transitional cycle for two of the programs and the other one's not ruined. And then maybe this door will it will be much harder to squeeze through here in the next couple of years, especially if Billy Napier at Florida gets it going in Gainesville. That might be Tampa might be start being gator, gator territory again. So I just I always like that part of it, Nathan. I know we've been writing not just Stephen, but some of our uh, people who help with our recruiting coverage. I think Robbie Fenbers wrote a, a story about Ohio State has a chance to be pulling a bunch of guys out of Florida. Now they go where the talent is, but they go where the opening is. And again, this is not, this is not, Oh, I don't know. Florida, Tampa. Cool. Let's go to Bush gardens. Like there's a, there's something here that Ohio state is diving in on this area of the country in this site. Yeah. Steve and I talked about this on the recruiting pod, the last one that we re recorded and maybe we're overthinking it a little bit. Cause some of it can be Yes talent there yes opportunity um meeting up i think there's also though florida was an important state in this cycle for ohio state because if a year ago at this time we had been having a discussion and said who's the most important coach on this staff as far as ohio state recruiting florida who would you have said uh urban meyer no i mean like that was on the staff at that time luke fickle 
No, I don't know who 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 was the most important Florida well, recruiter for Ohio State. I don't I think know you who would, was. You would have made, made a case for Kerry Combs, I think, that just because of the success that he's had pulling players out of there. And, I mean, Tony Alford has been in the mix there, and some other guys have been in the mix there. But Combs has had a long-time presence in Florida getting some of the – the big time athletes that they've gotten out of there. And so with him off of the staff, I think you sort of needed to reemphasize your connections in that state. And, you know, Tim Walton had been in the state, but he'd been there as an NFL coach most recently. And that doesn't really, I don't think do you very much from a recruiting standpoint. I'm sure. Perry Eliano had some, some connections in that state, but as he's talked about, you kind of have to go in and now, you know, take the connections you have and reinforce them a little bit because now you all the guys who liked you but said no before now have a new reason to say yes when you come to talk to them. So I think those things made this a because of the the turnover in this on this coaching staff. I think they needed to make sure that they were connected in that state because you don't always have to be pillaging Florida and getting a huge presence out of there in each class, but you need to have a presence in Florida at all times to be a national championship contender program. I don't know how you could do it. Otherwise, I suppose, or I think, I think Ohio state does. I think there may be, you know, I, I suppose USC could be a national championship contender without pulling a bunch of kids out of Florida, Oregon, some West coast team, maybe even Texas. Although I think Texas would still have that connection, but Ohio state, I think absolutely has to have that connection in Florida. So, I mean, obviously there was a time, I mean, obviously when urban Meyer got here, urban Meyer was all about, the state of Florida and Luke Fickle was big in Florida. Luke, Luke did a lot of work in Florida. So there was a time in that era, early urban where Florida was primary. It was really primary for Ohio state, but it's all, it's all these things, right? I mean, everybody has connections, a bunch of places. And if you're a good recruiter, you can establish relationships pretty, pretty quickly. It's one of those things. Sometimes you talk about recruiting. It's like, ah, I've known this high school coach for 20 years. And that's why I'm a great recruiter. And it's like, man, relationships really matter. And then sometimes it's, hey, I got to sign this new territory. And I went there and I, I got two great recruits right away. And it's because we established relationships. So whatever. It's all of it. It's both. I do remember, again, it's one of those things. Ryan Day not that we ever forget this. I think Ryan Day is like a really good recruiter. And when, uh, again, in the course of the book, I can't even remember who I was talking to, but I was talking to somebody. Um, I know I talked to Ryan about it, but he had pulled Justin Simmons, who's a, a pro bowl safety now in the NFL, um, to Boston College out of Florida, like randomly out of Florida. And I was talking to somebody at one of the high schools down in Florida. And they were like, we love Ryan Day. And Ryan Day like hadn't, you know, it's a hand been in the building in eight years, but Ryan day, I think is a guy, again, among the things that Ryan day does culture, you know, with the, the awareness of the mental um, needs of his players. That's a big thing for Ryan day schemer, schemer, draw it up, play caller, doodler, right. Quarterback coach relationship, with the quarterback, quarterback, recruiter, quarterback guru, all this stuff. He's just a good recruiter. I think also. So again, I do think when Urban left and Luke left and Luke left first, there was maybe, a, I don't know if there was a drop off, but it was, you lost two pretty strong Florida guys at that point. So it's interesting um, to see them get really reestablished down there with this class. And I think we, and I guess if you guys talked about a lot, right, this is, it's not going to be just these two. Yeah, no, and there there have been others already in this class. I think this is like three of the last four or 
three or four of the last five that have committed from 2023 have been Florida guys. So it, it's been a lot of Florida and Ohio so far for this class. Now, again, the Bryson Rogers commitment coming out of Florida, though, is a guy who is a Warren, Ohio native. And that's, I thought, another example of one of the templates that Ohio State works off of, right? Go find the out-of-state guy who has the Ohio connections, the Ohio foundation guy who was a Buckeye fan when he was a little kid and bring that guy home. So there's a little bit of that working here too. It's not just purely pulling a guy in. And especially with a guy like Rogers, who's ranked, like I said, you know, around like 50th among wide receivers in this class and outside the top 300, those, those connections can sometimes help when you have to pull in a guy who may be more developmental. We'll see. The last time Brian Hartline landed a guy, a commitment from a guy who was ranked this low among his position at wide receiver, it was Jackson Smith and Jigba. Usually it's guys who are at least more up in like the 2025 range. This is a little bit low for them, but that has quickly changed in the past. We'll see what happens with Bryson Rogers. So obviously two things. One is when you commit to Ohio state, your ranking is going to go up. This is kind of the thing with recruiting rankings. It's like the best schools have the best recruiting rankings because getting recruited by the best schools in and of itself raises the individual players recruiting ranking. So that's going to happen, but also at the point, especially with Heartline, And we've talked about this before. It's with the, he gets a kid who, as you said, is the, at the moment, according to the two, four, seven sports composite, the 49th ranked receiver in the country. It's not like the first 48 told Brian Hartline. No. And Brian Hartline was like, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta go to 49. Like not that anybody cares about recruiting rankings with their own personal valuations, but Brian Hartline picks, picks the four guys he wants. And he, you know, does he go four for four every single class? No, but it's maybe alone among uh, even even to maybe a greater extent than even defensive ends, like alone among positions at Ohio State. It's if if Brian Hartline wants you like that's the recruiting ranking. What's the Hartline ranking? He's a top four Hartline guy. So um, as you said, the class right now, nine players in the class of 2023 for Ohio State for Ohio four Florida, one Tennessee. So yeah, they're hitting Florida. Nine players, now number two in the nation in the class of 2023. So, you know, they had dudes in. It's the spring game. Not a shock. Uh, Two guys over the weekend. All right, so we're not going to do more recruiting on that. So, you know, we'll get more into it. Uh, We'll take some more recruiting questions. Again, I think we're going to do at least two rapid fires this week, maybe three. We got to see what we get through because again, more than nine, I think like 90 some questions and we're not doing 90 questions here. Let's start here though, Nathan. From the 304, given what you heard from spring interviews, what surprised you the most and the least from the spring game, Nathan? So, you know, we're trying to learn, we're trying to get our little snapshots with the little windows we get to see a practice, but it's mostly how people are talking about things. What was then the most and least surprising stuff from the game? I'll go with surprise the least first. And I think that was the play of the two young defensive backs who had the biggest games. And that was Jordan Hancock and Kai Stokes, who, you know, Stokes being the first player from this class to lose his black stripe gave us an indication of what was coming. Hancock, people had been, you know, talking about him and about how ready he was. I think that was even going back to the Rose Bowl 
practices that we were hearing that these guys were coming. Ryan Day, you know, famously having that press conference where talking about why they weren't maybe pursuing guys in the portal. And he's like, we thought we hit a home run with those two freshmen we had last year being Hancock and J.K. Johnson. And so Hancock having a nice game, Kai Stokes having a nice game. That was not surprising. That seemed like on schedule with what we'd been hearing, not just all spring, but in Hancock's case, dating back to the end of last season. So then were we shocked by anything? No, I wasn't really. I was having trouble saying what was surprised me the most. There were some, and we're going to get into this later because somebody asked a question about the success of the number one offense versus the number one defense. I thought the number one defense under the circumstances did all right. And I thought there were some successes by the defensive front, especially against the number one offense that I thought was a good sign. Okay. So some of the some of the plays that like JT Tuomalau and Jack Sawyer were making and and some other guys against that first string offense that I thought considering especially that those guys might not be starters or if they're not starters that means that Zach Harrison and and those kind of guys aren't starters. So uh, the defensive line depth maybe being I kind of wrote about this that it's not just an advantage that it has against this depleted offensive line right now that that the spring game made me think that maybe that's going to be a real edge against even non-depleted opponents when you get into the season yeah okay all right let's go surprise though yeah i mean there wasn't you know again there there's sometimes there's like the, the crazy spring game guy that goes bonkers and it's like holy moly i mean i there didn't feel like because it wasn't really as much of a game uh, it didn't feel like there was a guy like that or something that's be like, wow, we didn't see that right. at all coming. And then this happened. All right, let's do this. This is, I'm, I'm curious about this from the four, four row scale of one to 10. What should the fan optimism be for this team and for the 2022 season after what we've seen in the spring and know about this team already. So one is bad. 10 is good. I would say nine or nine and a half. And the reason that I would say that Nathan is I don't think, there's something holding this team back. There's always top end things at Ohio state. Boy, that pass rush. Oh, the corner coverage. Oh man, the running game. Oh boy, the tackles, the receivers. There's always going to be peaks. Most of the time with Ohio state, it's about, do you have the valleys that are going to trip you up? Cause it's not a conversation about how they're going to go seven and five. It's a conversation about, is there going to be among the 10 things they have to do? Or are there going to be one or two things that keep them from being undefeated big 10 champ in the playoff and giving them a shot at a national championship. I don't see that now. So if you don't see that, Oh, great. Say CJ Stroud's great. Jackson Smith and Jigba's great. JT Jumaloa's great. Denzel Burke is great. Trayvon Henderson's great. What a shock, but they've smoothed out the valleys. So I think it's, I'm not going to give it a 10, I don't think they're perfect, but I think people should be very excited. Yeah, and, and, and obviously this is a subjective depending on how how good you have to be to be a 10, I guess, to, to get that. But I said like eight and a half, nine. I do think there are some positions, and in the spring game, I don't know, in some ways did it emphasize this a little bit, that they're one problem or one mishap away from a problem, one of those valleys, whether that's the offensive line, I'm less concerned, though, at some of the positions than the coaching staff seems to be like. I, I don't know that I think that safety is a 
is like really one issue away from being a problem just because Kai Stokes has come back. If Court Williams is healthy in the fall, I don't know. I think you have some depth there. You like Cam Martinez. You like Lathan Ransom when he comes back and you would think that maybe by the end of the season, he's back in a position that helps you. At linebacker is is coming along. I just, you, you're seeing, you're right. You're not seeing the obvious weaknesses the way you did, I think, at this time last year, or even like the big, well, this really has to go right in order for it to work. It just seems like things are more set up for Ohio State to be what it should expect to be every year, which is a solid playoff team that nobody is surprised if they're eventually in the national championship game. There's one thing, Nathan, now that that maybe you've made me rethink this slightly. Because you always think frontline, 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 frontline. Depth matters because you're a couple alien abductions away from stuff not being what you want it to be. I'm trying to think what I think was the year. This is a long time ago now. I think this is right. Michigan State, oh man, is this right? Michigan State in 2010 went 11 and 2, and 2011 went 11 and 3. 2012, they went 7 and 6, and then they won 13, 11, and 12 games the next three years. So five out of six years, they won 11 games, and they had one year where it got away from them in 2012. I think they had that was the year they had like three starters hurt on the offensive line. And offensive line injuries can really screw you up if you aren't deep. And Ohio State, for the most part in recent history, has been pretty healthy on the offensive line. But if you said, I do believe they should and do feel good about their five starters, if something happened and two or three of those offensive line starters weren't around, I think they they could be having some trouble, which is based off just what Ryan Day has said about the depth. But you just think about it. Even last year, if it would have been like, well, like last year, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue because it had been like, well, we'll play Matthew Jones. Okay. And then it would have been like, well, what if you get another guy not there? It's like, well, I guess we'll play Donovan Jackson. It's like, okay, is he ready? It's like, well, he'll be ready. He's a five-star. He's going to be a starter. The thing always, Nathan, is are your backups future starters who are just young or are your backups guys who just aren't good enough to be starters? Their backups on the offensive line right now are guys who probably are not good enough to be starters here. They they, They don't have another Donovan Jackson just waiting. And so... You could get into something, especially if it happened, if you had like a tackle and a guard injury. Now I'm wondering yeah. how that looks. The way I look at it right now, if you had to move Donovan Jackson to tackle and plug in either Enoch Vamahi or Josh Fryer at guard, you might be okay. Or if you had to just play Josh Fryer or Enoch Vamahi, I suppose, at right tackle, you might be okay. But I think you're right. I think if you get down to a, a second problem, and again, that's not something that's really come up for Ohio State a lot in these recent years. You you always seem to have like at least one guy on the offensive line who's got a little something going on. It's a tough position. It's a tough grind to get through a, a long season like this. But if it does happen, I, I do think that's an issue. And it, it's hard to, when you're answering questions like this, you sort of have to remove well if something happens to cj stroud if something happens to right you know your very very best players okay yes that changes things Uh, uh, there is a breaking point though where you're like well 
What if something happens to Trevion Henderson? Are there number two running backs national championship quality? If something happens to, I don't know, somebody at, 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 at uh, if something happens to one of your starting cornerbacks and now you are down to two who you really trust as starters, does that cause a problem? Like, I don't know. But overall, if, if depth, like second, third level depth is, is your biggest concern, I think you're in good shape because your first level at Ohio State should always be good enough to be playoff caliber. Because even part of the issue last year was they lost Josh Proctor and right. then their safety depth wasn't maybe good enough. Well, they so lost Josh Proctor. Like they, they, they lost Josh Proctor. They didn't really have seven banks to start the year. That was another defense, veteran defensive back that's not in the mix. Cam Brown is kind of in and out because of his injury situation. Like they were just super thin at defensive back last year. And that was something they never really covered. They didn't have Court Williams to start last year. So even if you thought he was someone who was coming along and could help you, he wasn't in the mix to, to start last year. It was th- that they were super thinned out before things even got started last year. So I think these next few months are important for those guys to finish healing up. You know, Proctor, obviously, from what we saw on Saturday, looks very close. I think he's he's basically ready to, to be a, a, a full-time player again. And like I said, guys, like, I don't know how close Lathan Ransom will be to start the year, but they're actually in a position now where someone like that, who you think would maybe be able to help you depth-wise at multiple spots in that secondary, he comes back a little bit later in the season. Maybe it's midway through the season before he's got his legs back under him, no pun intended. And then now he is, that that bolsters your depth a little bit. So they're going to have to get a little bit lucky, but I also think that what they have at the top level and the way we've seen the top level of the defense I think that's it's legitimate to have optimism that that those 11 starting spots are better than the 11 starters they had last year, which was still almost good enough to get him to the playoff. Right. All right. Quick Noah Ruggles update. Nathan, you wrote about this for people who didn't see that from the 513. What is the status of kicker Noah Ruggles? Is he still a grad student? Is he on the roster? Um, is he in trouble for watching the Rose Bowl halftime show? What's up? So, yeah, I guess we, we didn't talk about this very much on the pod. Did we talk about it after we talked to Ryan Day last week on the pod? I can't remember. I don't know. I know that we texted about it. We definitely texted about it. I definitely wrote about it. Um, and, and credit Bill Landis because no, we got through the whole spring and nobody asked Ryan Day about this, but I hadn't been looking for the kickers at practice because there's too many other things to watch and we don't get very uh, big windows. Ruggles has not been with the team this spring, but it's, I guess, basically an excused absence. He is a graduate student didn't need to be on campus this winter slash spring. And he's not even enrolled in classes, I was told, this semester. But I was also told this by the spokesperson who was like, this really isn't a big deal, at least the way they're painting it. Like, they just said, yeah, you don't have to be around. Go do, you can go kick on your own. And he'll come back this summer and get ready for the season that way. So that's that's the best update we have. We don't know of any other triggering event that caused this other than Noah Ruggles thought it would be funner to spend January through May in North Carolina or Hawaii or wherever he is, Florida, than it would be to spend it in Ohio to which I say, yep. Well, this is one of those things though. No, I mean, if Ohio state's and Ohio state is clearly fine with it, so it's nothing, but sometimes, sometimes when, uh, you know, infamously, you know, Kerry Combs would get on kickers and practice and be like, ah, oh, you're just a kicker. And sometimes I'm like, why is everybody mean to the kickers? They're football players too. And then something like this happens. It's like, oh yeah, no, they're not, they're not really like they're, 
you can't you can't not be here and then be like, oh, I'm just like you, JT Tumaloa. It's like, you know, whatever. It's fine. But now, now you're a kicker. Now it's like, hey, now go yell. Everyone's this is just opening the door. Noah Ruggles, nobody cares if anyone yells at the kicker right. in practice. Go make a 46-yard field goal with the game on the line, which he probably will because he is quite good at the thing he's actually supposed to do. But it is now free game on kickers because it's like, hey, you weren't here while we were busting our butts well, in spring. Well, yeah. So I was about to say, like, this all sounds like a fine plan until No Ruggles doesn't come back and go 16 for 16 to start the year next year. Then it all becomes like, hey, why did you guys let No Ruggles go play on the beach? I'm sure he's doing his work. I'm sure he is because he's a pretty professional guy. He wanted to be in the NFL already, I think. And that's what he's coming back to pursue. Now, do you know who also didn't have a spring last year and didn't join Ohio State until kind of into the summer and then end up having a pretty good year? Noah Ruggles. So this isn't like a position player was not around. No, I know. Just but like, I think it's a worthwhile question. Yes. Yeah, no, no. If, no, it's absolutely. It's like, what's up? And what's up is fine, but no more kicker sympathy for me. That's right. like, oh, who's going to stand up? Hey, hey, they're just like, no, they're not. They're in Hawaii. Yeah. No, they're not like everybody else. And kicking field goals between two coconut trees yeah. or whatever. It's like, yeah, no sympathy. Yeah. All right. Quick break back on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Nathan, Evan Pryor. Woo, everybody liked Evan Pryor from the 330. Does the quote emergence of Evan Pryor? maybe force the coach's hand at trying to two-back backfield and getting a tight end off the field at times this year. I know the tight ends look good in the spring game, and although Coach Day was optimistic, he still said there needs to be progress for them to be a strength. Love the, uh, love the effort. <laughs> They're not going to have two tailbacks on the field. Nope. And they are more likely to have four receivers than two tailbacks, and they're not going to have four receivers right? because they're going to have a tight end. More to the yeah, more to the point. I would I'll mark this down. This is a Monday. I'll mark mark it down Monday. Ohio State will play more and possibly significantly more three tight end snaps this year than zero tight end snaps. Good, you can track that. That's a good thing to track. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. We waited for it with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, and it like never happened. So it, the, the way that they would have like a second running back in the game would be if Mitch Rossi's lined up as a offset fullback kind of thing. If they use that tight end as a fullback on occasion, that's what they're going to do. They're just, they're just not going to do it. I mean, very few programs do it. It's just not really a thing to have two tailbacks out there together. And so I know he can catch the ball, all that kind of stuff, but like, so can their receivers. So I, I like it like I would I but it's just it's just not where the game is so don't hold your breath don't hold your breath uh Easter question actually it's a food question what did everybody eat for Easter I miss food talk even if Doug is basic um in my defense Stephen is more basic than me Stephen eats like uh, what, what? Stephen, Stephen drinks Stephen drinks water and like eats uh grapes that's all he eats well he goes on like these these crazy like cleanses in these, these fad diets all the time. So I don't but know who he, wants, nobody wants to talk about that. 
No, but I would I would argue it's not necessarily always basic. I feel like he's always got some kind of space age thing that's that's right around the corner. But it's not relatable to our to our good people. Nobody, nobody. No. Stephen never comes back and says, "Man, I had the best corn dog today." Let me talk about it. It's like, ah, oh, this grape was especially <laughs> delicious. I drank. 216 ounces of water today instead of 198. Let me tell you, I always like Stephen during the podcast, he always has this jug, like this gallon jug of water. And it's like, I'm on my, it's like 10 a.m. and I'm on my ninth Diet Coke. And Stephen is just like, boom, nailing that gallon jug of water. So uh, what'd you eat for Easter? We didn't really have a, it's just my wife and I, and we didn't really have like an Easter meal. We didn't have family coming in necessarily, but we got up in the morning and made our favorite biscuits and gravy recipe. I think I've talked about uh, this guy named Chef John. If you do like YouTube searches or just Google searches and find his recipes, he has a blog called Food Wishes. His, his so- country gravy is like one of our favorite recipes because it has bacon and sausage in the country gravy. So it's not just sausage and gravy, sausage and biscuits. It's like bacon mm. and sausage gravy. It's fantastic. And we had that for breakfast and then didn't eat again until dinner when we went to Marcella's up in um, Polaris with some friends. Yeah. We Chicken went, farm. We went to a uh, buffet out, which, I mean, I want to I want to eat a buffet on holidays. So we went to a good one and it was like the brunch, you know, so obviously it's a brunch buffet. So uh, do you do this at the brunch buffet? I transition i eat i eat breakfast food and then i i like cleanse the palate and then i go to the lunch food so i had bacon and breakfast potatoes and some fruit and pancakes and i did all the breakfast stuff and then i had a salad and then i changed and then i ate fried chicken and mashed potatoes and broccoli and salmon and green beans and corn and carrots but you can't mix. I, you know, obviously it's two meals in one, but I don't want to cross train. I don't want broccoli and carrots and a pancake, right? That's just what everybody does. I'm not inventing how to eat brunch. This is just how it's done, right? I think so, yeah. And actually, one of my favorite Vegas tricks was try to show up because obviously a lot of times if you're going to a brunch or a, a buffet, there's like a breakfast price and then a little bit more for lunch and then more for dinner. So if you can time it right, you get in at the breakfast price, get a little bit of breakfast right as they're changing over to lunch, and then you get the lunch at the breakfast price. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's cheating, but it's it's Vegas, so they're taking all your money anyway, so it's yeah. okay. It's a but slight it's a slight house edge still, but I will say my youngest daughter ate so much she was just moaning and we were trying to take a family photo afterward and she was like why didn't we take it before why did we because she couldn't even stand and i was like well done you're my kid she nailed it money's worth got your money i drank like 11 iced teas also so um love the holiday brunch and uh it made me happy thanks for the question we talked this about this a little bit on the post game pod. And again, we don't have a full handle on this. So we don't want to go too crazy. We think it's just like day to day, weren't quite ready kind of things. Neither Julian Fleming nor Court Williams were on the official Ohio State injury report for the spring game. 
but they both didn't play. So from the 6-1-4, whose absence from the spring game was more notable? Julian Fleming or Court Williams? Big deal, not a big deal. Would love to hear your thoughts. Nathan, what, what do we think about that? And I like the comparison of the two because yeah. it is interesting to look at them in relation to each other. You know, I think the Fleming one was more notable to me just because I was expecting him to start. I was expecting him to be with the first group. And I thought Court Williams would, you know, and, and I still expect that Julian Fleming will be in the mix to potentially start this fall. I don't think that Court Williams is a starter on this team right now. I think there's other safeties established ahead of him. I don't think he's going to beat out Hickman and Proctor to start. I wouldn't expect that. So Fleming was the more notable of the two absences. And I, I'll take Ryan, what Ryan Day says about, well, they was day-to-day. We just decided to hold them out. Maybe because it had rained that morning, they were trying to be extra careful, went on the field, whatever. It's just another example of like, like we're trying to play ball with these guys. They release the injury report just, and they didn't give us the injury report until like a half hour before the game. So just tack a couple names on there and you take away the speculation. I feel like they, they, they put guys in position to get speculated about by fans, by us when they don't play or whatever. And it's their fault a little bit. Like you can just, just tell us they're not going to play. Yeah. I actually agree with what you said, but then I thought court's absence was more notable because I feel like I have a better handle on where Julian Fleming fits into things that Jackson Smith and Jigba is clearly the number one receiver. And then it's Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, and Julian Fleming in a group. And it's three guys for two spots, and we think they'll probably all play. And then we think there's another little bit of a drop to Jaden Ballard, and then you try to work in Cam Babb there somewhere, depending on Cam Babb's health. So that Julian Fleming didn't play didn't, to me, confuse anything about, oh, what does it mean? Where does he fit all this stuff? I want to know how Court Williams fits in. Like, I would have wanted to see Court Williams out there because I want to know, well, is he playing at Hickman's spot? Is he playing at Proctor's spot? Is he playing both? Does he look like the backup behind both? Oh, they actually rotated him and Proctor a lot. Like, that, I thought we could have gathered more information about Court Williams' role through the spring game, even though it was basic, even though it was not a real game, right? Like I, I, there's more information I want about court Williams. So I thought his absence was more notable because then we didn't get it. And, and I also thought like when Proctor was out beginning of spring, as we said multiple times here, boy, court Williams, he's right at the front of the line. He's really involved. And then he wasn't at some practices. And if he has a minor thing or whatever, it's like, okay, that's fine. But man, I kind of want to see what it looks like when they have Williams and Proctor and Hickman. And if we're just thinking about Tanner McAllister at nickel safety is kind of a little bit different thing, but like those three guys at the two spots, we never really saw all three at the same time. And that would have helped me at least. I hear that. I guess I had just in my mind had completely shifted to a place where yeah, those two guys are the starters. And then uh, you're right that we don't hundred percent know where court Williams would be. He seems like he'd be a better fit at the bandit than the adjuster. You know, when we saw him last year, I mean, yeah, he looked pretty good in the Rose bowl, but that was also, I mean, look at the role he was playing that day. It was, he was sort of on the field in place of the, what they were still calling the, the cover safety at that point. It was almost like a Sam linebacker type spot more than it was a safety spot. So I don't know that I really think of him in that free safety way. So I don't know. Maybe I had already just sort of moved 
the way I'm kind of reading what we've seen and what we've heard so far that where, where he would kind of fit in. But I think his absence did reinforce why Ryan day was talking the way he did about safety depth. I think because that we didn't know exactly. We knew court Williams had something going on that was lingering this spring. We maybe didn't know how much he had been out. So I think that was a factor into what he's talking about with the, the lack of like top end safety depth and guys that they knew were ready to get on the field. And then I think, you're right that when we first saw them this spring and he was getting those reps, but when he missed, I think that's the opened door that Kai Stokes then walked through. Yeah. I just, I, I would have liked to see him. I just, um, a lot of people I think are very curious about what the best of court Williams looks like here. And, and we're kind of eager to see it from the nine, three, seven Bryce from the nine, three, seven. I've been hearing a lot of good things about Taraja Mitchell, including that he is well liked by the new staff for his leadership. He didn't seem to mesh well with Al Washington, having not been recruited by him and being the only linebacker left from that 18 class. I wonder if he may really solidify a decent role. Is it possible that he may, may beat out Tommy Eichenberg at that Mike linebacker spot or split time with him similar to the tough Borland Baron Browning situation? So the one thing I'll say about this quickly, because you wrote a big thing about Tommy Eichenberg Monday morning. So I'm sure you have thoughts on this. I don't think athletically the kind of players they are, there's much difference between Taraji Mitchell and Tommy Eichenberg. Their way there was a difference, I think, with the style of play between Baron Browning and Tuck Borland. I actually think Taraji Mitchell is is kind of a is kind of comparable to Tuck Borland in a lot of ways, but so is Tommy Eichenberg. And so rotating at Mike based on skill set, like I don't know that there's that much of a difference. Maybe rotating at Mike just because both guys deserve to play, even if they're similar, maybe that's more possible, but how, but clearly I think Nathan Eichenberg affects Mitchell, right? Sure. You have to think about those two guys in tandem. So what do you think about what that means for Taraja who is, who was a captain last year? You can't question the leadership there. Yeah. And he, in an interview this spring, he said, he didn't get in specifics, mentioned some things that had gone on off the field for him that had been an issue and were a distraction. He didn't have his head in the right place last year. So, you know, maybe he's in a better headspace now and can contribute in a different way. A couple things I feel like we have to make note of, though. Number one, we still haven't brought up Cody Simon's name in this discussion. Hasn't wasn't able to practice this spring because he's coming off of a shoulder injury. But that's who started at Mike Linebacker the majority of last season. Eichenberg started the first three games. Simon started the rest of them up until he had surgery. And then Eichenberg started in the Rose Bowl. So the way I look at it coming out last year, that's two guys ahead of Mitchell. Although Mitchell wasn't really playing Mike last year. He was still more getting will reps last year and that does not seem like what they're thinking about him as now like the will has been sort of seeded to a different kind of athlete in a lot of ways and it would seem like mike would be where he would be in the mix so if you were going to play if you're going to balance reps based on skill set i would think that eichenberg simon would be the switch off more than eichenberg mitchell so i i did write about eichenberg today because of the way that the coaching staff has talked about him all spring and, and the texter is correct. Uh, they did, you know, Mitchell did get brought up by Jim Knowles for like his leadership and the things he likes about him. I don't think he talked about him as a player quite the same way though. Whereas with Eichenberg, both from Knowles and from Ryan day, you're hearing, we like this about how he plays football. He's decisive. 
He's fierce. If they're using words like that about the way he plays football, that's what kind of caught my ear this spring was that they are talking about the things he physically does on a football field. It's not just leadership. It's not just smart, although they smarts, although they do like those things about him too. So I think Eichenberg has the edge. I, I agree with you that I don't think it would be a timeshare. And if there was any kind of a timeshare, I think it'd be a different kind of athlete that they would look at for those, you know, third down situations, whether that's Simon, whether it's CJ Hicks, I think it would be someone different than what are two comparable players in Eichenberg and Mitchell. Yeah. Not everyone's going to get on the field. And I think we've kind of figured it out and outlined it pretty well, but they really kind of have three guys at all three linebacker spots and they're not going to play three guys at all three spots. They're not going to rotate nine linebackers because most games it's only going to be two spots anyway. So somebody's just going to get edged out and it's probably going to be somebody that some fans really like. And some fans think, man, this guy should have played more. What happened here? Cause they just, as we've said a million times with this linebacker group, they have a lot of guys who are like in the same basket who are pretty good. You can, yeah, no, I think, yeah, he's pretty, I can say not really any sure things and that that makes it tough because if it was aj hawk and ryan chazier it'd be like hey i love these guys behind him but like what are we doing and like we're not quite there so it can i think it's going to lead to like your guy some people are going to be like your guy at linebacker is just not going to make it because and it's going to be why not it's like because the other guy's seven percent better it's not going to be because the other guy's an all-american and it's just going to be, it's going to sort itself out, but there's just, there's just not enough space. Let's do one more here that I do think is kind of a, is related a little bit. I don't know if the texter intended this or not, but related a little bit to some of the things that we wound up talking and thinking about last week. From the 314, how do you all stay unbiased in your reporting and keep from being a fan? Or do you find yourself rooting for the team or the players while covering them? So, you know, the way um, I think the way a lot of people, not just here on Buckeye Talk, but everywhere, if you listen to Ohio State reporters talk about Dwayne Haskins last week, if you saw the way people wrote about Dwayne last week, the way that I wrote about Dwayne last week, it certainly was not just Dwayne Haskins is a great thrower of the football, right? Like there's personal stuff that gets in there. And so, the thing that the way I always describe this, Nathan, is we are unbiased when it comes to the team because the program, the team, the uniforms, the, the university, all those kind of things that have existed forever that are things that people have innate connections with. It was passed down to you from your family. You saw him on TV when you were eight and you thought, man, that's cool. That's my team. You're just from Ohio. You grew up and you went to college there, whatever it is. Th those things that that kind of connection, I think as a journalist, you know, we have our teams that we had that too when we were kids, when we were young, we have that. And there are people who cover Ohio State who had that. I do think as a journalist, you, you still try to sever that a little bit if you have that with the team that you covered. My very first beat job, like big professional beat job was with my favorite team. That was my favorite team growing up. I was a baseball fan growing up. I grew up in Pennsylvania. 
the Philadelphia Phillies were my team. And at 24, I started covering the Philadelphia Phillies for four years. I was the beat writer. I was there every day. And so I tried to, I had the knowledge and the history, but I tried to sever that innate connection so I could be clear-eyed with my, what are they doing well? What are they doing poorly? And I think you try to serve the fans through that because you don't want to get starry-eyed and be like, everything I do is great because that's what fans should think. But we're trying to help you along the way with what's up. But the stuff that's not innate, Nathan, are the people. Because the people change, especially in college sports. The people change more than, much more than professional sports. Pro sports, you can have someone on a team for 15 years. And it's like that person becomes innate. Well, I started liking this team when I was eight and now I'm 23. And it's the same shortstop. That's still my favorite player. It's the same quarterback. If you grew up with Tom Brady, my gosh, you took you from kindergarten to getting married. But in college, the people change. So I would say there's not the innate go bucks, no matter what kind of thing that fans have. But when you get to know people and you like them, especially when they're young men who were just kids when they get here, and we're from afar, but you sort of feel like you get to watch them grow up a little bit. I think Dwayne Haskins is a good example. Like, did I root for Ohio State to win games? No. Am I pleased? Was I pleased that Dwayne Haskins had success? Did I appreciate for the fact that I thought Terry McLaurin was a great freaking dude and wish, wish him the best in whatever he does? You know, do I think that, you know, Steel Chambers seems like a great guy and man, wouldn't you like Steel Chambers to have good things happen in his life? I think that happens because you're a person relating to people. But I think the difference is you don't automatically root for the team. So I do think that's where covering a team and covering people is kind of a different animal. Yeah, there's some of this is just basic human empathy, right? Like I hope I hope Cam Bab gets to be healthy this fall and gets on the field in first halves of games and catches passes. I don't care what the outcome of those things is. I just kind of want that for him, that he's he's had enough terrible luck throughout his career. He deserves something to go right just as a human being. And you can there's probably a Cam Bab on like every team in the Big Ten. And I wish that for them, too. I hope Josh Proctor gets to be healthy this year. It's tough to watch a guy break his leg in front of you on the field, whether it's a team that you're covering or you're just a person who had never heard of football before and walked up to Ohio stadium and bought a ticket that day for whatever reason, like it's, it's some of it is just basic human empathy when you're talking about the human side of things and you do get to know people over time. So you see the, 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 especially the guys who you think are, and whether it's coaches or players or whatever, like you see the effort that they put into things and it's not that you're rooting for it to work out for them. It's just that you um, you're empathetic when they have, trials and tribulations, I guess, that aren't related necessarily to the outcome because it is a zero-sum game at the end of the day. Like they signed up for winning and losing. So I think there is a difference between, and I think we do a good job. This isn't a podcast where Ohio State can do no wrong, whether that's Ohio State's football program or Ohio State as an institution. I think we do a good job of like pointing out when we think this was not the right decision from a coaching standpoint. This was maybe not the right decision from a personnel standpoint. This is something the university could do a better job of. I think that's our job 
you can write about successes without being a fan and you can write about failures slash shortcomings without being a troll and, and talk about them. Yeah. I do think that, I mean, I, I root for the fans. I root for right. you guys listening to this because I think if you love a sports team in return, you deserve to be proud of that team for how they handle their business and you deserve as much joy as possible because they are competent and working hard and have the interests of the fans in mind when they go about their business. So, but sometimes rooting for the fan means making sure you're not getting caught up in being a fan of the team because you're trying to hold the team accountable to a standard that the fans deserve. And right. I do think that happens more in the pros especially when it's ownership being cheap or millionaire players feeling like they're not putting out their best effort or incompetent coaches or general managers, right? I think there's more, that can be more pressing, but if you feel like, listen, you guys know when I have called out assistant coaches over time, why do I call out those assistant coaches? It's because I don't think they're meeting the standard of Ohio state in service of the fans. Like, right, that's now we don't call out the individual 20 year old players in quite the same way, but that's what it's all in service of. Are they doing right by you guys? So I, the way I see it is you guys as fans should love your team and be able to love your team. And then you should be able to get mad at your team when they disappoint you, but you don't have to be rational about it because you're a fan. That's not what it is to be a fan. You don't have to try to solve things, right? But that's where we come in. On your behalf, you be happy or you be mad, and we'll try to explain it or ask people or hold people accountable. But if we're the same level of fan that you are to the team, I would fear, and again, journalism has changed a lot. We've had this discussion multiple times on here. There are a lot of places that do it that way. But then I fear in the moments, and every now and then, I'll be honest, I hear it in Ohio State in press conferences sometimes, Ohio State press conferences. When Ohio State loses, sometimes I hear questions are that are sound more like to me, like, how could you do this to me? Because I'm almost asking a question as a fan. I'm not trying to get an answer. I'm not trying to hold you accountable. I'm upset. And I don't think that leads to the best discussion about why the team isn't doing as well as it should. So the more clear-eyed we can be, if you're going to be clear-eyed, I think you have to. It, it helps if you're not all in on the scarlet and gray, no matter what. I think that's so, the best. Yeah, I think it's the best way to describe it. You're being an advocate for the fan. I mean, it's not that different than other kinds of journalism. I come from Illinois, where I think we've sent something like five of the last seven governors to prison. Uh, quite a distinction. And when the people report on those instances, it's not because they have a bent one way politically or the other, because it's been both parties that have done it. It's because you're being an advocate for the taxpayer and you have to have oversight of those group. And that's a not a perfect analogy, but in some ways it, it, it is the same thing. Like Ohio State is an institution and we're kind of providing, it's it's about providing perspective on why things are happening and and, and holding them accountable. But like I said, you, you can all, just because you're doing that doesn't mean you can't also talk about the good things that CJ Smith and, or CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba do. Yeah. But like, do we like, do I like Paris Johnson? Yes. Do I like CJ Stroud? Yes. Do I like Travion Henderson? Do I like Garrett Wilson? 
Do I like Chris Olave? Do I like sure. Jeremy Ruckert? Do I think they're good people that I want the best for as a human? Yes. So I think we, I think both can be true at the same time. And, and right. there's players that in our past that we haven't gotten along with. But also then if I, if I think a player is kind of a Nimrod, I also, but then I don't want that to be like, I'm not going to write right. negatively about Correct. like what I'm saying. Yep. Nimrod plays great game on behalf of fans. Cause that's not what it's about. Right. But yeah, no, I don't love everybody. There's a sh- Buckeye talk. <laughs> um, quick break. I, I don't think this next question hurt Nathan's feelings, but maybe it did. We'll be back. Doug and Nathan. From the 650, I saw the post-game observations on YouTube. I had not seen you all in a while. It looks like Steven lost a bunch of pounds, and Nathan found them. Keep it up, Steven. Matt from the 650. So I will begin this by saying I was not specifically mentioned, but I have been watching the videos you know you go in and check on them and i have the same clothes that like you do this nathan when you're a kid it's like why does my dad wear a shirt that's 20 years old and then you get to this age and it's like it's still a good shirt what am i gonna do just throw clothes away so i have the shirts that i've been wearing since 2009 covering ohio state and i do feel like this spring it looks like your wife is not the only person that's pregnant i am as up as i have been early pandemic i was on it i was running like a mofo i am sluggish and old and fat and I see it in the videos and it's hopefully going to motivate me. So I'm going to call out myself first and I can't blame it on baby weight. I'm not getting ready for a huge life change. Uh, Steven, I do think has been getting after it. I mean, he drinks 15 gallons of water a day, flush the system. I'm a big believer in flushing the system. I just do it with Diet Coke. Uh, Nathan, are you hibernating? Have you been hibernating in, um, advance of the arrival of your child yeah listen we were already talking about like i'm eating for two right now right isn't that yeah. the the old line no i i definitely and we moved into this house in august of 2020 and there's a picture that we took that day like as we were moving in like holding the little sign or whatever that's like the best picture it's ever been taken to me as far as like how like trim i looked and ever since then i also think though I could make some better fashion choices that would either disguise or de-emphasize the, that I've put on uh, some of the weight that I've lost. Because I think if you were to go watch those videos on certain days, I don't look as like I've plumped up as much as others, but um, I haven't gained all of the weight back that I ever lost, but I have definitely re- receded a little bit. I think I usually do in the winter anyway. Um, Cause you just, you're let, you're not as active. You're not out you're not doing as many things. And again, this year, that's been even less so uh, because we, you know, our, our life changes. You're, the way you act changes a little bit because you've got this this dude coming. So um, looking forward to, I think sleep deprivation is supposed to be good for weight loss, right? Extreme sleep deprivation. <laughs> Let me double check on that. I'll try to get back to you. <laughs> we'll see if I can even fit in this in the uh, on the screen when we start doing videos preseason after I get back from this. I guess if you're too tired to eat, that would be how that works. Um, Could be. So. Yeah. I will say, and I'm sure a lot of people have gone through this, and you can't use the pan- – I think we're past – we're right at the end of using the pandemic yeah. as an excuse for your poor life choices. Like everybody – the pandemic was like, which way are you going to go? You, it's like, hey, I'm locked in my house. Are you going to get after it, or are you going to like plump up? 
And the first part of the pandemic, I got after it. And then the second part, I plumped up because I had belonged to a gym, but like there was a point, it's like, well, I'm not going to a gym. Like of all the things, it's like, well, maybe I'll do this. Or maybe I'm do that. I'm not going to go to the place where like people are just exhaling and I'm not going to run on a treadmill in a mask. Like I, that's, I don't, I guess people did that. Like, I'm not going to do that. And now that that we're past that point, I have not gone back. I canceled my gym membership in the middle of that. And I have not gone back to that yet. And then when the weather's lousy, it's like, well, then I'm like, well, I guess I just have to sit on my couch for 18 hours a day. So now we're in spring. I can get out and run. Um, my plan is to start that today. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, no more pandemic excuses, you Buckeye talkers. Last one. We're going to skip one that we'll save for a future pod. But I will ask us this, Nathan, from the 734. Should we be worried about the defense against the ones yesterday? Or do we just say that it was the spring game and it's not indicative of how they'll actually play. Alternatively is the offense just that good. So you, I think touched on this earlier in the podcast, the idea of the ones versus the ones, you know, it was one of those things, right? I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba was in just for the first series and we just like go right down the field and throw the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba and nobody can cover him. And so what, what did you think? How did you think it went ones versus ones? And then more importantly, did it tell us anything? And I, I mean, the caveat here is I have not gone back and rewatched. I, I just didn't do that yesterday on Easter. I'm, I'm planning to do that again today. Here's a couple things. It might be the best offense in the country. Number one. So let's not forget that. Number two, it's I'm not, not sure there's a I'm not sure there's a might in there, but okay. go ahead. There's not there's no live hitting on the quarterback. And you don't have the, the defense. I know the offense, I guess, is probably pretty vanilla, but the defense is also very vanilla. So it's not like Jim Knowles was scheming up aggressive ways to attack this offense. So and then on top of all that, this scoring system, I thought, did the defense no favors. I thought they actually should have included Stephen and I were talking about this during the game. I thought PBUs should have been a point. Like the only ways that the defense could score a point were to get a touchdown itself which wasn't going to happen. I mean, that's almost a fluke thing to get a takeaway, which again, when you're being vanilla on both sides of the ball makes that less likely to get a sack, which they got a handful of sacks and to uh, force a punt. You only get one point for that. And I think it was like two or three points for a three and out, which just wasn't going to happen against that first string offense. So every time they did force a punt, they got completely negated just by the PATs that the offense gets to kick. So, It wasn't like there was going to be a disparity in the scoring. And I didn't really feel like I, I still came out of the spring game more encouraged by the progress Ohio state had made defensively that I thought you saw enough individual performances that told you the, that everything that we had heard this spring and some of the things we had seen flashes of this spring were legitimate, that there has been progress in, in skill in performance on that defense. I agree that you have to really wait until opening day to find out if that's true. Cause I think every spring is kind of, I don't know how often you come out of the spring game thinking terrible things about the teams that you're, you're covering necessarily, but cause it's, it's not really maybe meant for that. It's not meant to be a, a critiqued exercise like that, but I still thought that the, the first string defense, all things considered, looked all right against the first string offense. I just think the first string offense has a huge advantage in the, the, the offense in general has a big advantage in these situations. Yeah, I think that's right. And by the way, the person who I would imagine drew up the scoring system, offensive guy. 
Yeah. So he's not going to be too worried about, uh, oh, you know, what if we give the defense uh, an extra point for a pass breakup? Probably not going to happen. But I meant to look uh, like how many PBUs they had, because I think if you include if you gave them a point for every PBU, then this might have been either a tie game or the defense won. Let me look real quick. So it is one of those things. It's it's uh, yeah, 10 PBUs system, the defense would have won. Oh, really? It's, it's yeah. designed like to have some kind of competition, but unlike some other spring games of the past, as we talked about on the podcast right after the game, um, that wasn't the main thing. They weren't really, I mean, there, there are times when the Ohio State spring game is absolutely trying to find a winner and a loser because the winner gets stuff and the loser doesn't. I'm not so sure. I, this might be wrong. This might be wrong. I'm not so sure there wasn't a year where the winners got the buses back to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and the losers had to walk. And like after a spring game, when you're tired, I mean, it's not that far, but it's not a block. So like, again, there have been times when it's like, Hey, like, and also like, I don't like to mulch. I don't want to mulch Buckeye Grove. They're like, it's a real thing. And like, that's, that's just not where they are right now. So it's like, yeah, scoring system, whatever. you like to mulch there? You big mulcher. We, we, we mulch on occasion. We, there's a lot of mulch on our property. We need to remulch. There is a one of the high school teams around here has like a fundraiser where they sell mulch and you can sign up. It's like, oh, I want 18 bags of mulch. And then on the mulch day, they just come and they drop the mulch in your yard. I had at one point, I think I had like a couple extra bags of mulch, like just stacked in my yard for over a year that I was like, oh, I'll get to it. And then it, like it snowed. It snowed on the bags of mulch. And then by the time I moved the bags of mulch, like the next year, like under the mulch was like an ecosystem. Like you wouldn't believe there were little worms and stuff down there. They were like, man, this is the best place to live in all of Ohio under six bags of mulch at the corner of Doug's house. And it wasn't like it was around the back where nobody could see it. I'm sure my neighbors had a countdown clock of how many days, like a bet, like how many days do you think Doug will leave six bags of mulch? on the corner of his house. And somebody was like, I've got 509. And they were like, yep, you won. I'd price it right that. I'd take the over on that. I'd go I'm 510. A, I'm a bad homeowner. I'm a bad homeowner. We, Mostly because all I do is podcast. We did one better than buying all the mulch. We People may remember the famous podcast episode where I was watching people cut down a tree in my mm. yard while the podcast was happening. But then when they cut down the tree, it still leaves the stump at the bottom. They have to bring out this other contraption and, and grind the stump. And it creates just all these wood chips. So that's what we've been spreading around our property for the last, or what we did spread around our property last summer and fall. Stumper, I think they call that. Bring out the stumper! Stumper. All right. We could probably do like a, we'll do a mulch episode when you're back. Okay. Just write down all your mulch observations. What about like a mulch Three o'clock in the morning, mulch bracket. What? Brown mulch, black mulch, that red kind of mulch. Mm. You used the red mulch at a house that I had in Lafayette, and it, it popped. It was good. Really? I feel, uh, that's too fancy for me. That's a little highfalutin. I'm surprised that a guy from a bean field would use red mulch, frankly. It just worked well. We had like a sort of a reddish door at that house, so it just it worked. It was I, wouldn't use, I would usually go black mulch, but it worked well. I bet you there are people listening to this who have red mulch, especially if you get, you get gray house and red mulch, boom. Well, it's Ohio State fans. I'm sure there's people who have red mulch. All right. That's it for this rapid fire. I think we'll come back and do rapid fire on Tuesday because we got like 90 questions. We only did 10. 
So we have more great ones that we'll get to. We just want to go through like what you guys are thinking about now that we're at the end of spring and then throw in some random stuff about mulch and uh, ham at the face. So thanks, you guys, for being part of it. Get subscribed to Buckeye Talk. Try the text 614-350-3315. We'll take some reviews. I don't know how what our most recent reviews are, uh, but we'd be happy to hear at Apple Podcasts what you guys think of the show. Always eager to see those, especially if they're good, but even if they're bad, sometimes the bad ones are amusing or sometimes they just hurt our feelings. So either way, if you got time, go drop a review. And of course, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.